Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Now's the time for the leader to qualify. Uh, how many minutes do I have? Anybody? How many minutes? Wait, I'm going to call time five minutes and okay. then the final minutes. And we go until um, 9.30. So the first call time will be 9.25. Okay. All right, great. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, my name is Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I got, I didn't know, I, I missed the, hi, Julie. Okay, so um, I didn't know what, where the kitchen sink name came from. And I was asking people before the meeting. And it was, I got some of the best answers ever. My favorite is still the one that they used, there used to be an ice cream sundae called the kitchen sink because they put absolutely everything on it. And uh, except the kitchen sink, um, but I know that's perhaps poor OA humor here. So I'll get on with it. Um, just so you know, like, well, who the hell am I, and why the hell am I on this meeting? Um, I have been in Overeaters Anonymous for over forty-one years. I have been abstaining for thirty-seven years. That's all due to this program sponsorship steps going to meetings being of service sponsoring others reading the literature working the steps not always in that order um and my story is briefly uh this um you know i kind of had the cards stacked against me from birth i came in this world a fat baby i mean really in 1956 nine pounds 11 ounces was considered a big baby and uh, funny how I didn't outgrow that <laughs> big baby. But as a child, I mean, I have pictures. I look like as if the Michelin man had had a child. Just rolls, okay? And um, and I've just, my first diet was at the age of five, okay? Uh, at that time, uh, my family, uh, who were all compulsive overeaters and, and other addictions, um, you know, everybody had ice cream after dinner, including the dog. We even had a dog with diabetes, thanks to us. And um, our garbage disposal remained in absolute 100% pristine condition because nothing went down it. The only thing in my house that got thrown away was iceberg lettuce. Everything else, it's like when people would say, oh, these cookies have gone stale. I just want to go, first of all, how did that happen? And second, what does that matter? So I grew up, you know, with food, and for some reason, even though nobody taught me how, I intuitively know how how to sneak food. Uh, I intuitively knew that, you know, sometimes it's okay to eat sugar, and sometimes it's not. Um, so there was a lot of already moral judgments going on uh, with the food and weight. Weight was it's so funny because I mean I grew up in the age when um, McDonald's. Uh, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, all those places that hit the, I mean, they were out there. And so, you know, working parents dream, 
you know, you get home, you're tired, you don't have to cook. Let's just take the family to a drive-through. And so I could tell you the days of the week by what drive-through we were going to. And, um, and so I had problems with weight. Fortunately, I was fairly active. So uh, it wasn't ridiculous. But I mean, almost every year I had a school nurse telling me, uh, honey, don't you think you need to lose a little weight? Because this was the time of JFK and, you know, physically fit youth and all that good stuff. And uh, damn him, because I couldn't do a pull-up to save my life. Anyway, um, so weight's been an issue for me all my life. And it became a real source of uh, shame and embarrassment um, when I got into junior high. And um, over the summer, I had eaten myself out of all my school clothes. And uh, I remember my mom yelling at me, but it was kind of like, you know, Charlie Brown talk, wah, 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 because I didn't want to hear it. All I was doing was standing on that scale, angry, frustrated, and telling myself, no one is going to do this to me again. I will put myself on a diet. I will lose weight and nobody is going to embarrass and shame me like this again. Nobody except me, that is. So I began my long, my career uh, since the age of 12 to 13, up and until Overeaters Anonymous of dieting. Okay, always losing weight, yes, and more. Um, okay, a couple quick stories and then I'll move on. Um, basically, the kind of eater that I, I'm so grateful I came to Overeaters Anonymous because I get to hear people who ate out of the garbage can. I ate out of the garbage can. Now, mind you, I wrapped the food up first, but still, I'm out there in the middle of the night with a flashlight pulling food out of the garbage can so I could eat it. The exact same food I had just said 30 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, I am so sick, I am so disgusted with myself, I'm never eating this again. And I'm eating it again. And I did that countless, countless times. Um, I, I felt like if anybody remembers the movie with Victor Mature Samson, where at the end they're trying to kill him by tying his arms to two bunches of wild horses, right? And, um, and I felt like that. I thought, I'm 17 years old. I live in Southern California. I want to go to the beach. I want to run around in a bikini. And yet I can't because I'm fat. I'm wearing, you know, cut off jeans over my swimsuit. And uh, so I want to lose weight more than anything in the whole world. But I also wanted donuts, pizza, and ice cream more than anything in the whole world. Guess which horses won every time. So the only time I did lose weight and keep it off was with a commercial weight loss program that I'd already tried five times. I managed to lose my weight. And I'm not joking for a full 24 hours before putting it all back on again. And I came to Overeaters Anonymous after losing weight and getting it all back. I went to Africa and got dysentery. That'll do it for you. And then came back. Uh, but I knew it was only a matter of time before I put it all back again. So I went to Overeaters Anonymous and I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. But I did. I'm a good diet follower. So I you know, got a sponsor and I started calling my food. And then I learned really quickly why you don't want to have dinner with drinking alcoholics. They don't give a crap about when they eat. I do. I have had carrot sticks, chicken, and a little baggie of grapes at 12 noon. It is now 8 o'clock at night, and by God, we are going to start eating. 
I mean, I practically grabbed the hostess by the lapels and said, can I help you put out the food? You know, because I'm starving to death. And um, I ate three abstinent dinners that night. And when I called somebody, I said, did I break my abstinence? And she said, yes, you did. And I said, thank you very much. And I went out and put all my weight back on. I'm a binge eater. I don't stop when I'm full. I stop when it's gone. And I eat till I pass out and I come to and I eat anything that's left. I, and I have lost work over this. I have lost school time over this. I have lost relationships over this. And I found over Nears Namas a second time. And I remember sitting in the back of the room, this is in Whittier, California, uh, watching the tears hit the tops of my shoes and feeling completely demoralized. And nobody was sitting by me. And there's a good reason for that because when I was eating, showering, bathing, that kind of thing is just kind of like <sighs> later. Um, I wouldn't take off my makeup. I was like Queen Elizabeth. I just added more layers on, you know. And I had my dirty hair topped up under a beret. And I was wearing a pair of drawstring painter's pants because that's all that would fit. And what got my attention was uh, one night at one of those meetings in Whittier on Wednesday night, in fact, one woman stood up and said, you never have to be fat again if you don't want to be. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. And also I noticed that there were people there who had lost weight and kept it up. I knew no one who had ever done that. No one. So I started following this plan of eating and I started going to meetings and I started staying behind the literature table and I just started doing stuff and calling in my food and going to coffee after the meeting because I was young and caffeine didn't kill me like it does today. Um, anyway, long story short, I've stayed for a year and a half. I got down to 98 pounds because I somewhere, you know, information from nowhere came into my brain and said, if you just get thin enough, you'll feel like people who've worked the steps felt, because that's what I thought it was. I didn't think it was the steps. I thought it was being thin. So I got to 98 pounds. I'm 24 years old. I haven't had a period in months. I can't walk up a flight of stairs without being exhausted. And I'm wearing thermal underwear in August in Southern California because I'm cold all the time. But don't get in my face about being thin, because for once in my life, I am get out of my way. And what happened is I began compulsively retreat with me and Bill B. I mean, my God, you know, who does that? I do. Because I had no effective mental defense against that first compulsive bite. That's what makes me a compulsive reader, according to the big book. And it's absolutely true. I have these strange mental blank spots that I cannot remember the suffering and humiliation of even five minutes ago. And I began compulsively overeating because I had no God. Um, and I went from 98 to 200 in less than three months. Now, in any other crowd, that usually gets up. Not here. <laughs> Not with us. It's like, is that all? Yeah, that was all. And then I began trying to abstain again. And I got a sponsor who was six months out of a mental institution. We were a match because I'm detoxing off of sugar, and I could have used a rubber room, let me tell you. And I'm sitting in her living room watching Rod Serling's marathon of Twilight Zone, and I'm right there with Rod, trust me. And the only reason why I abstained was because I was sitting directly across from my sponsor. You want to get abstinent? Want to have an abstinent Thanksgiving? Eat across the table from your sponsor. You will abstain. 
Uh, and I struggled for two and a half years trying to get abstinent. And then um, I went, my last binge was on a loaf of bread and a pound of butter. And um, I went to an AA meeting because I was too ashamed to go to an OA meeting. And I told people what I'd done. And they all kind of looked at me a little strange. They thought I'd gotten drunk. Well, I had. And one person after the meeting told me something I'd never heard in my life before. She said, why don't you try being kind to Julie? That had never occurred to me. And the kindest thing I know to do for myself is to abstain. And I thought, okay, I have tried a million and one times. I'm going to give it one more shot. Okay, higher power, if there is anything out there, keep me abstinent. And what I envisioned abstinence to be like was then God would suck the desire to eat out of me and I would go tiptoeing through the OA tulips and it would all be grand. No, I wanted to eat eight more breakfasts and I had to force myself to go to work. And then it was like I inhaled my lunch and it's like I could have eaten eight more lunches. And it's like, okay, that's it. I'm binging at dinner. And then I went home and I had dinner. You ever eat an abstinent dinner and cry? Because it's like it's chicken and broccoli. Who the hell wants chicken and broccoli? Today I love chicken and broccoli. But I, I was like, I want pizza, you know. But I went to the stupid meeting. And there are stupid meetings when you're uh, detoxing. And um, and then I'd, I'd think I'm binging. And then I'd go to the meeting. And despite the fact that I hated all of you, um, you made me laugh. And I just thought, oh, God, just get me home and get me to bed. I've gone to bed at 6 o'clock in the daytime just to keep from eating. I have spent uh, eye contact with my sponsor for eight hours just to keep from eating. I've gone to four meetings, not Zoom meetings, folks, four driving meetings in a day to keep from eating. The last one was something like 11 o'clock at night. It, every day hasn't been like that. But I got to tell you, when I pick up that first bite, it is just like the commercial for Samsonite in the old days. They would show this picture of a gorilla in a cage and they'd throw in a Samsonite suitcase and he would grab that suitcase and bang the hell out of thing all over the cage. That's me and food. But I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. I have a disease that tells me this isn't that bad. It's not that important. You have better things to do. Uh, I have nothing better to do than be here today and talk to other compulsive overeaters because that is by far and away the most important thing I do without exception in my life. Without that, I have no life. My life centers down to a bag of this, a bowl of that, and a green Nagahide sofa that I used to pass out on with a channel changer. That's my life when I don't abstain. So, I mean it. Thank you. So I have five minutes left. Is that right? Yeah, for the share. Great. So um, I'm doing now what I did then, which is I go to meetings. I more than I used to because of Zoom. Uh, I go to meetings. Uh, I work the steps. I continue to have a sponsor whom I have more than one, actually, whom I'm in contact with regularly. Um, I sponsor people because it says in the big book, nothing will so sure immunity from a return to compulsive overeating the other compulsive overeaters it works when all other methods fail and that's absolutely 100 percent true i don't know what i'm doing for them but they're keeping me abstinent so i'm real grateful um i 
as a result of this program, I went back to school and I got a master's degree. True, it was in painting, but it still counts. Um, because I ate my way through college. I didn't even take my diploma. I was so ashamed of my academic deportment. And this time I graduated with honors. It's from an art school, but it counts. And I got a job working with adults with developmental disabilities and I taught them art for 20 years. And it was by far and away the best job I've ever had. If you sponsor OAs, you qualify to work with disabled adults. I have problems with my medication. They have problems with their medication. I have problems controlling my emotional nature. They have problems controlling their emotional nature. We have problems facing life, so do they. Perfect training ground. And I have managed to stay married to the same man for over 30 years. And that is because I treated men like food. More is better. Don't let go of one unless you got another one in your other hand. And I have not had to cheat or lie. Uh, the stealing has got gotten way back. I used to steal thousands of dollars from my employers. And now, well, now I'm retired. So that cut that in the bud. But I used to take, I got it down to paper clips and pens that I would end up having to pay for in return anyway. So um, I have become the responsible one in the family, which is so weird because I, I would eat over the littlest thing. I never wanted to face life. <clears throat> and over is anonymous and a higher power and a sponsor and you people have shown me how to face life successfully and how to become more of a human being. And my goals in life have changed. My goal is to stay abstinent to the end. That's it. Now, if I can accomplish a few other things, great. If I can treat people decently, all the better. If I can act loving, the best. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's about it. I'm just saying, I didn't come here to get good. I came here to lose weight. And over years, now, this has given me that. My weight is still important because it is a barometer of how I'm doing spiritually and emotionally. And I've been given so much more. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you're going to grow spiritually, <clears throat> be of service to others, not get paid for it, of course. And um, you're going to go to these meetings in, you know, church basements and other exciting places. And you're going to have to talk about God. You know, I was, a, you know, up yours. But today it's all about my higher power has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. I don't understand it. I just know I don't ever want to leave this program for you people. But thank God it's just a daily reprieve. So I have to keep coming back. I think um, C.S. Lewis said, spirituality has to begin anew each day as if nothing had yet been done. So I have to begin each day anew as if nothing had yet been done and reintroduce myself to my higher power. Because a higher power doesn't remember the crap I've done, but I gotta reintroduce myself every day. Say hi. So anyway, um, I'm just blathering now and I'm really anxious to hear what all you have to say or to ask questions or whatever. Um, so thank you. Please remember that the options of the leader, the opinions, right? of the leader are my own and not necessarily those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first two questions have been asked before raising your hand. And hey, I'll give you a five minute warning again on this part. Okay, that's great. And I'm just going to go down the participant list 
Okay, uh, I've got uh, Jolene here. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for your amazing share. Um, my question to you is your journey with um, cutting sugar. Yesterday, I went to a party and I abstained from sugar, but then I went to go get lunch and I had sugar. So I believe that's the phenomenon of craving. And I, again, I just wanted to know how you dealt with that and without berating yourself and how you kept coming back. And uh, yeah, that's my question. I hope that makes sense. Thank you. It makes perfect sense. Um, okay. Uh, how did I not berate myself? I berated myself every time. I'd like to tell you I didn't or that I was so involved, involved in a way that I just said, oh, we're not sick people, trying, you know, not bad people trying to get good. No, because every time I ate, I don't look at that. Okay, the pain it caused me, I don't think is a bad thing because it was one of the, I don't abstain because I'm comfortable. I abstain because the pain Julie, you're cutting out, sweetie. Oh, thank you. I'll get rid of the, the, yeah, you don't need to see my mug. Now you're muted, honey. Got it. Okay, got it. It's not right to put yourself down. That's why it's important to call somebody else. Talk to someone who's not going to say, well, dear, you know, you should have da-da-da-da-da. Just to say, man, the disease kicked my ass again. You know, and and I'm hurting, and it's like, and you will find an understanding person. Say, yeah, I know how you feel. Do you want to go to a meeting, or uh, is there something going on that maybe drove you to that food? You know, it's in other words, no judgment. I couldn't give myself no judgment, but other people could till I could begin to give it to myself. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, saying, oh, the cancer came back. Bummer. So we're sorry to hear it. But don't leave the ward. Keep coming back. You know, it can happen. All right. And it took me two and a half years of eating, not eating, eating, not eating, eating, not eating. Okay. So, you know, they say don't quit before the miracle. It's really true. And I would... I would, um, I, I heard it, I'll say this and be quiet. I heard this at a, at a retreat and I like it. Um, there's a thing in chemistry called titration, right? And it's like, you know, your high school chemistry teacher gives you two little vials, both are clear. You're supposed to put one drop in and write the results and one drop in and write the results. And after a while you're thinking the guy's a sadist, nothing's happening. And then like on the 45th drop, the whole thing turns black. We don't know when that's going to happen, but it does happen. So just keep coming back. We don't know what meeting's going to do it. We don't know what phone call's going to do it. So keep phoning, keep coming, keep reading, keep going. Okay. It, it works. Okay. Um, let's see. Eileen. Hi, Julie. Hi, everybody. Eileen Coswell Reader. Good to see you. What a nice surprise. Can you talk about how being in the disease impacts quality of life? I think that's really important for me to remember about that. So I'd love to hear about that. It impacts quality of life. 
I don't have a quality life. And if I do, I can't appreciate it because there's always this dark cloud in the back of my head saying, yes, but you're fat. Or yes, but you're eating. Yes, but. And, um, and I'm just not one of those people that has much of a life with food. I mean, I did things, went to school, went to work, you know, kind of had friends. But, um, but compared to the way I, I live now, it's, it's, it's just 100%, it's just 100,000% different. It's better, you know, um, because I have a head that won't let it go. You know, if I'm eating, that's the conversation I'm having almost all the time. And if not that one, I get to have the one about how fat and ugly I am or how stupid I am or some other wonderful thing that might, because my head's in charge now. If I'm eating, my head is in charge because that's where the disease is. And I'm being led around like a bull with a nose, a ring through my nose because I don't have a choice. OA and abstinence give me a choice. Once I take that first bite, choice is gone. And I'm, I, you know, that um, Martin Luther King, free at last. I mean, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. I am a slave to my disease when I need it. And I, I am a free person in my recovery. That's, that's the difference between slavery and freedom. So thank you for that question. Thank you. Um, See, next person's hand is Elise. Is that right? Elise? Yes, um, uh, Alice, but that's okay. I'm, I'm used sorry. to the Elise. Um, thank you, Julie, for your share. And um, my question, you mentioned that you have more than one sponsor, if I heard correctly. I was curious um, what, you know, what the sponsors were for and, and the need. And also, could you provide us with your contact info, if that would be okay? Yes. yes thank I, you. I can give my contact info. Uh, as soon as you know we're done with this, because I'm not good at multitasking. Right. Um, okay. Fine. I had a sponsor. I was in Southern California, and I uh, moved up to Northern California, and I still had the same sponsor. But when I came back, um, this sponsor was a full-time caregiver for her husband who was ill. I still kept in contact with her, but I couldn't go to her and say. I could just kill my husband right now while her husband, whom she loves dearly, is dying. I needed to have somebody I could talk to who I didn't feel like I was, you know, adding one more rock in their backpack. I would still call them, but I needed someone I could talk to. And, uh, and so I kept both. And then after this person's husband died, and their life is, you know, coming back more and more, uh, I continue to call them as well. Um, so that's just how it ended up. I don't pit one sponsor against the other. I think both of them have, have qualities that I need. One of them is like very nice, but straightforward and a straight shooter. The other one is nice, but not <laughs> a little sharp sometimes. And, uh, but, uh, a straight shooter and both have what I want. That's the deal. So, and I will put that info in. So that's how that ended up. Uh, now, you guys help. I'm sorry with the names, but Payam? Payam? Yes. Hi, Julie. My name is Payam. I'm a big time food addict. Thank you so much for your lead. I saw so much of myself in you. I am, um, I, 
especially want you to talk about or give advice on um, how do you eat the boring food? How do you keep every day eating the boring food of protein and vegetables and some fruit versus the pizza, the pasta, the burgers, the bread and cheese that is just so lovely? How do you, which obviously takes you to the disease, but how do you, in your head, that diseased mind, you know, wants you to eat that, you know, I guess you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. Um, okay, I'm very lucky. I have a sponsor who I can talk about food with. She would send me recipes. Uh, she would give me information of what she eats so that it's like stuff I never think of. Like, and, and what she told me was, you have to have a plan of eating you can live with and you're going to have one you can die with. It's terribly important extremely important that we enjoy our food okay so if you're eating boring food okay this isn't advice it's a suggestion stop it find some food you can eat and there's a shit ton of uh, ways of eating protein vegetables and fruit okay really good stuff and if you're not a cook or a chef or you know there's just lots of ways to do it uh, talk to your sponsor about what they eat. If they eat boring food, then talk to somebody who doesn't. Um, I can recommend one thing, and this is not a paid announcement. It's just, it's hard to find. It used to be hard to find cookbooks that have a lot of vegetables in them, okay? Uh, Green's Cookbook, it's a uh, restaurant in San Francisco at, that serves nothing but vegetarian meals. And they have some of the most kick-ass vegetable things there are. And... It, you know, you don't have to be bored. And that's what the disease would love to have happen, okay? The thing about those other foods, there's nothing wrong with them. If I can eat them safely, sanely, sociably, sensibly, but I, I don't do that well. I, don't, I don't, don't do those foods that well. So I need to eat alternatives that ring my bell, you know, without, you know, setting off a five alarm fire. So my suggestion to you is it means work on your part. I'm sorry, but research some food. Go to some vegetarian, vegan websites or talk to, if you eat meat, talk to people. What do they do? Because there's a, most compulsive overeaters are happy to talk about food. I certainly am. And uh, there's just lots of ways to go. So please, I would encourage you to, before you to do the other foods, um, that there's nothing wrong with, but um, if they're a problem for you, then there then there's a problem. You know, I don't want yeah, to five minute food. five minute warning. I don't want to eat any food that talks to me. You know, I don't want to eat foods that set up the craving for more. So, thank you for calling. Okay, let's see. Uh, Z. Yeah, hi everybody, and hi Julie, thanks for that great share. Uh, you mentioned something that uh, I never heard anybody else talk about in a meeting before. Maybe that was just my luck, or it's just something new that uh, isn't discussed often, and it's this idea of uh, overeating or compulsively overeating on abstinent food. Now, I am in the program for almost 60 days, and I'm really grateful for my results. I've transformed from being a 
compulsive overeater on all of the foods that were just mentioned, and now I'm eating abstinent food. But I heard you say that, you know, you had an issue. You said to your sponsor something like, I just had, you know, three abstinent dinners. Am I still See? abstinent? See, could you please get to the question? Yes. Okay, my question, I'm sorry. The question is, how did you convert from overeating on abstinent food to a more regular way of eating? That is the question. Sorry for that. No problem. Um, no problem, Steve. Um, well, I'll tell you, it's something I had to work out with the sponsor. But what I find, I have tried all kinds of ways of doing this. And the one I've hit upon that seems to work the best for me, and other people, this will drive them up the wall, it helps me, is to weigh and measure my food. So I know what a normal portion is. Um, I wouldn't know a normal portion if it hit me upside the head. I have a, they say, well, just eyeball it. I have a broken eyeball. I need to weigh and measure my food so I know I have a beginning and I have an end. This is a normal portion. Now, does that mean I don't ever eat a big meal? No. There have been times when I was uh, served a steak and it was all about, I am eating this steak. I am also calling my sponsor and telling her I am eating this steak. And there are consequences to eating that steak. Sometimes a weight gain, uh, other times I just want someone to shoot me because I have this big chunk of beef in my stomach. But the bottom line is, is I, it's to keep honest and keep my food in the program, what I'm eating, what I'm you know, not eating and finding, and you're, you're in early recovery. It's a, it's a, it's a process of experimentation with a sponsor and being honest and uh, working out what works for me, okay? Because I am a binger, but I don't, I don't binge. But I started off, to be honest with you, with three troughs a day and nothing in between, and then worked my way down from there. It is a lifelong process. So just be honest with your sponsor. Tell them you know, when you're hungry, when you're not, what you're eating, and... and it's all about the meal has to have a beginning and an end and work out portions with your sponsor or a professional. Okay. 